Welcome to the Leadership Zone. I'm your host, Sheila Walsh, Leadership Development Specialist, Coach and Researcher. Today we have Sarah Blake from Earthology with us on the Leadership Zone, and we're going to be discussing all things sustainability and picking Sarah's brain about things that we need to think about in organisations and as leaders. Sarah has a lot of different resources that we will then point you towards that will help you save a lot of time and effort in terms of trying to think about these things. But before we get into all that, I'd like to invite Sarah to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you before we kick off. Great. Oh, thanks, Sheila. Thanks so much for having me on. Very delighted to be here. And this is going to be great, a great, great chat. So a little bit about me is that my background is HR and horticulture. So quite an interesting combination, but spent a lot of years doing talent management and doing kind of organizational kind of recruitment and leadership and then moved into horticulture, had a midlife crisis, thought I wanted to be a garden designer, and then discovered that, oh my goodness, the planet is in trouble. These plants really need help. And that's kind of how I came to it. I didn't lick it off the ground, as they say, because my parents brought me up to grow my own and to fix and mend and all those kind of things. But somebody pointed out that I should really marry these two synergy kind of areas and pull them together. Because when you say HR and horticulture, people go, hmm, how does that work? <laughs> But we pull them together in what we do at Earthology, which is a lot of carbon literacy education. Brilliant. Thank you. That's really interesting. I, I love talking to people who have done kind of almost what looks like opposite things, but that they have a really clear interconnection or in the Venn diagram, a crossover. So tell me a little bit about why you think this is important for organisations to think about and for leaders to consider in their decision making. Okay, so it's certainly sustainability it has moved up the agenda in terms of where it sits and strategy. So you've got a lot of regulations coming down the track. We've got CSRD, which is the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. I can't even say it today. But we've got a lot of things like that coming down the track, which really they prevent people in some ways from doing business as usual, which is great. But they also propose a little bit of a risk for some people who maybe haven't thought about this. And certainly if you are not actually coming under the regulations yet, and maybe you're working in a smaller entity, it's going to affect you because actually what's happening is the larger companies are pushing it out through their supply chain. So it's affecting the smaller companies as well, because they are going to have to start reporting on their emissions now, because it's in the scope three, as we say, a bit of technical jargon there, but it's in the, the third scopes of emissions of the larger companies. So Everyone is now going to have a touch point. And also, I think more and more employees really want companies to be doing something about it. You see this in the latest Deloitte reports on millennials and where they're at. You see this across the board. Paul Pullman did a in the US and Europe really do want their companies to act on sustainability. So it's coming much more to the fore than it ever used to. So it's, it's a high priority, I would say, to integrate sustainability with the company strategy. I really love that because I, I think it's important to acknowledge that obviously legislation puts companies under pressure, but the reality is, and we've seen it with some other kind of initiatives where larger companies have pushed it out. So for any smaller suppliers or smaller organizations, we've had to gather and report on different things in order to be able to even get past a proposal threshold. So I really like that, you know, while it might not be for everybody who's listening to this, the organization may not fall under it. There's also a 
the reality that a lot of tenders and proposals and future mm. work contracts will integrate this. And to be honest, I'm delighted to hear that because I think that when people think about the impact of their behavior and their decisions, and I think around sustainability and anyone listening to the podcast will be fed up with me mentioning inclusion, we, we just tend to be more conscious and it tends to have better outcomes than if we just yes. continue forcing a kind of business as usual, easiest method, not thinking about the ripple effects or the ramifications. And then when you talk about millennials, I think that's really interesting because there's a lot of talk about different generations in the workplace and, mm. and there's lots of uh, surmising about it. But what's been really interesting has been the requirement I see of newer generations coming in and expecting organizations to behave more ethically, that not yeah. just money driven decisions. So tell me how that's influencing the types of leaders or or organizations getting in contact with you? What are the kind of motivations at the moment bringing them into contact with you? Yeah, I guess a, a lot of it is uh, the aforementioned kind of regulation, but also I think there is generally somebody from within the mid-management to senior leadership team who come to me and say, it's either the employees are asking them for what, like we need more stuff. We want to have a green team. We want to see what we're doing in terms of carbon reductions within our own company, or they've been asked by a client what they're doing about sustainability. And therefore they're like, okay, well, I don't have any information to go to. So I need that. And what we're seeing, and you mentioned diversity inclusion there, and I think that's such a really good point because under the CSRD regulations, there is a huge piece on the workforce. It's going to be under the new FRAG rules, and it's going to be where people are going to have to report everything that perhaps you know they might have done if you were a big company anyway, but certainly it's going to be expanded. And this, you know, if, if you're also looking at B Corp certification, this will be no surprise and nothing new to you because it's very important to have, you know, cognitive divergence. It's so important within sustainability to make sure that we don't have a singular mindset going forward to approach these problems. Because if we do look at it from a one-sided view, we don't necessarily get the whole picture. And indeed, Carbon Brief just came out with a whole list of scientists who are based in the global south because they felt like it was very Western approach. It was kind of one-sided and we need more voices and we need different voices in the story when we're going to combat such a problem. Yeah, it's really coming in so many different areas, but a lot of it is workforce up as well as regulations down. You know, I think it's really powerful to think about the kind of expectations that the workforce have of organizations but also of their work environment but it's also quite interesting to see this kind of social shift towards more ethical expectations of each other and workplaces in general which then kind of lends to the likes of sustainability being you know a hot topic but also it leads to leaders having expectations of them that previously they didn't so i'm thinking about a lot of the time when i get into the room with a senior leader they were not they did not get to that room because they were inclusive and they didn't get to that room because they understood sustainability or they thought about ripple effects. They got to the room based on measures that are starting to become slightly outdated. And that leader mm -hmm. may have all the ca capacity in the world to do these things, but it may not be as safe as if they were a middle manager saying, I don't know, help, as it might be now that they're in a senior leadership position that they're very visible to actually say, oh, I don't know what to do about this inclusion thing. That was never on the agenda. That's not how I got here. I don't know what to do about that sustainability thing. It was never on the agenda. Can you talk to me about kind of the ways that senior leaders could confidentially and kind of in a very safe way access the kind of advice 
and support that they might need around these kind of changes in advance of it becoming a requirement actually that they mm. can step forward so they're a little ahead of the curve how mm. can they do that i guess there's a number of ways and i guess if you are a successful leader you're probably a reader right so that's a really good place to start is to, is to start learning and educating yourself and in, in the education piece uh, we run carbon literacy courses for senior leaders we do them as an open course which is also nice if you are not in a conflicted environment where you know you don't feel that you are worried about sharing confidential information we've done this actually in airfield estate which was a lovely sustainable place to be you know an urban farm and it's amazing what comes out of that the last course that we did we're currently getting those people certified so carbon literacy certified which is brilliant because it means that you can have a little badge you can show off to linkedin the world the workforce that actually you have got a carbon literacy certification and that you understand the climate crisis and what needs to be done i think that then gives people the confidence to go forward and lead so we've had people come in who are non-execs execs on boards you know, it's not just necessarily for the current leadership team, but also for the execs and non-execs because they're coming at it through the board meetings, etc. And they're also, we're finding a little bit unsure of what their part to play is. They may be seeing that the entity has done something in terms of maybe scope one and two emissions, but they're not sure what that means. And they don't want to, you know, be seen to kind of be the one who's like out of place. So that's definitely the first place to do it. And we can certainly run it in-house as well. I think that also works very nicely because it's a great way to get the team together. I think everyone wants to work towards a more sustainable planet and keeping within planetary boundaries. So we find that this is a really good one to do a team bonding, team management, whatever you want to call it, session on because it's a safe space. We assume that you know, people know nothing and we start from the beginning and, you know, we bring David Attenborough in it. So, you know, it's it's all about being more mindful in your choices and thinking about how you might run a more sustainable company and how you might decarbonize your business. But there are no, if you're in, in an area which is maybe, you know, a little bit tenuous or people are like, okay, well, that's not exactly the most sustainable. We look at how we can make that work. So there's there's lots of ways to do it. But I definitely think that education is key. And that's the best place to start is to do a course, get yourself up to speed. And there are lots and lots of courses out there now. So I definitely recommend that as a first place to start. That's really lovely. I love the idea of holding something in a sustainable venue. I think that one of the biggest challenges is we keep going back to what we know and we're coming out of a kind of corporate flashiness, I think, and we're, we're moving towards more of a kind of a sustainable, but also maybe a more discreet form of kind of corporate visibility. So, so it's interesting to think about where we're holding events. I'm sitting here thinking about whenever I work with leaders about creating an inclusive organization, they go, there's so much to do. Whenever I talk about, I don't know, actually my own life, trying not to eat animal products, it can feel like a lot, but it sounds like your approach is the kind of from universal design for learning approach, which is one good thing. So, so you improve one thing at a time rather than this kind of disruption that I think people imagine will happen in their business if they start reviewing it. Is that how you tend to support? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no. And it's so interesting that you mentioned that that approach, because that's exactly what we do. It is like trying to eat an elephant, right? <laughs> Which no one would do. But it's like, you know, if you don't break it down into sections, it's going to become 
overwhelming and we know when people get overwhelmed they don't do anything at all mm. so it's much better to break it down into areas start with the easy wins people see that there's traction and then they start to come on board it's educating the entire team because once you start to give people a bit of agency certainly within the green team to let them know that whatever they're doing will be taken seriously and that actually what people are doing certainly if you're looking at employee commuting if you're looking at like you said like choices within the canteen or you're looking at all of those things like um how do people engage and in equity and diversity as well because that fits under the sustainability umbrella that you know we find that certainly when we're talking even to hr senior leaders in hr that they're going oh yay like i've ticked some of the boxes already i only need to kind of round that up a little bit and then I can bring in the sustainability threads. So it depends, you know, which vertical you're looking at, but there are so many touch points for everybody. So I certainly wouldn't say, you know, if you think you've already got a sustainability lead, you do or you don't, you can still have lots of touch points on sustainability. So there's something that everybody can do. And it's definitely one step at a time. And I, I really love that because it's a little bit like inclusion. You might need a team whose work it is business as usual to help continue it. But actually, unless everybody owns it, it's not something that can be really impactful. And what I'm hearing a little bit there is that actually, regardless of whether you have someone leading on this or not, you can make decisions. And it's making me think about the venues you pick, whether you're meeting in person or working online, the suppliers you're using, whether they're green or not. There are things you can think about and make choices on that might seem small, but might be really important in terms of if everybody in the, the organization was making a decision of this nature, it might have an impact. While maybe the more traditional formulated route is being developed or is having to be kind of considered at the moment, because I do know that for a lot of people that this is sometimes like on the side of the desk work, just similar mm -hmm. to inclusion. It's like, this is your add on. and. Uh, one of the things that we've been doing in inclusion, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this, is when organizations say to me, I want to be inclusive, I say, well, then where is that in the promotional and performance reviews? How are you embedding that as something we actually care about and measure? And I'm wondering if with sustainability, that is something that could be really helpful if you wanted an organization of people who are conscious of it, that actually in both performance reviews and promotional opportunities, it's part of that thinking and decision-making and obviously coming from a HR background, which you do, and I don't, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that type of approach. Yeah, absolutely. So something that's very much within the B Corp framework is to make sure that your team have targets around sustainability, that it's in performance management. And actually looking at running an event with a colleague in the UK who also runs Carbon Literacy. And she was saying she, some of the really big entities that she's working for already do that they put it into and so indeed when you make your carbon literacy pledges and you actually have to put a carbon reduction figure on them which is why they're so good for generally for reducing emissions overall within the team is that that comes as part of their performance management so if they say they've put down carbon literacy pledges to reduce something within their department within their field then that counts towards what they're doing in terms of their overall performance so it's absolutely key and i think you're absolutely right anything to do with change it needs to have a bit of manners put on it because otherwise you know if it doesn't get measured then it doesn't get managed so I totally think that that is the way forward for a lot of these things and I think it's just that will help it become 
top of mind. So actually, I've got some guys doing writing their pledges at the moment from our most recent training, and they're saying we want to bring this into the every Friday meeting is, you know, Mother Nature. Let's bring her to the board. Let's bring her to the table and see what she has to say for what we did last week, what our plans are next week. And she'll have her say in terms of how we're doing it and are we doing it more sustainably. I really love that. So there's a couple of things. I run a leadership book club and over the period maybe of the last year when we've been running it, it's become really evident to me that the books are coming through a weird lens. Western, industrialized, educated, rich, democratic. I think that's all of them. And there's kind of a missing of other traditional views that are less Western, less white, less English speaking. And when you say mother nature, I'm kind of like, that reminds me of the traditions I learned in Ayurvedic medicine in India. That reminds me of some of the Native American traditions in the USA, that it automatically is part of decision-making, not a nice to have. And I'm thinking about how we in the West in a way, and, and I say West, but I'm talking about white, you know, predominantly white and English speaking countries have set up a, a kind of a culture around corporations and organizations. And they in some ways are dehumanizing and therefore create this gap between what humans need and ultimately human need, humans need the earth, if nothing else, to survive. We don't exist without it. And I'm just thinking about how this is almost like bringing back in some of the heart of what's actually required for the future, our children's future, our nieces and nephews' future, the future of work, you know, the future of people's lives and the quality of it. And I suppose I'm curious about, have you found your work with sustainability starts to kind of change some of the normative narratives that might be restrictive or homogenous or cold? That's my word on it. So I'm curious about that in, in your work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think that really is a tiny voice. Like to think about representing everyone is almost like the tiny voice. And like I went to the Inner Development Goals Summit recently. And one of the things said in the room was that even though we did have a couple of people from the Global South represented, the majority of people were, I guess, Western, probably white. And you knew that we were all cognitively probably thinking very similar things. And yet when we were brought into breakout rooms with people from very different backgrounds and very different livelihoods, it brings a whole different perspective. And they do very much bring that soul piece. And I think that is really important because I think it's that sense of place, you know, sense of who we are that they have very strongly. And they also have it, you know, it is that affinity with mother nature. And I think even with AI, right, like we're, where we're going, AI doesn't necessarily have soul, but we do. And it's keeping that part that I think we're going to need moving forward to keep Mother Nature as the ultimate boss. Because, you know, if we don't, sustainability, meaning that actually, you know, sustainable business, you know, heretofore was all about the continuity of business, keeping your business going. And I think we still hear podcasts that are about that, as opposed to sustainability in its full sense, mm. which means being able to continue your business because if you don't continue to answer to mother nature you know the finite resources that your business depends on are ultimately not going to be there and then therefore there is no continuation of business so i think we need to listen to all of the voices and include them i think because actually it makes for better decision making mm. 
the research says that again and again, Sarah. So I, I'm all over that one. I'm thinking about often when people come to me for coaching, they might say something like, you know, I just want to talk about the leadership stuff, not my personal stuff. And what I find interesting is you cannot lead unless you're a person, you know, in terms of in, in organizations, at least. So your personhood comes first and then comes your leadership. Whenever I find people who've had to make really scary decisions, and if they are a parent, I ask them how they would like their child to describe the choice they're about to make and, and what is required of them and the risk and all of that. And it changes the whole relationship with their leadership when they realize that there are consequences to their decisions for their children, but also that children, whether they see it overtly or they're just imagining that they see these decisions, that their children have an expectation of them and a view of them that is different to maybe how they make some decisions at work. And I have found that that's one of the quickest ways to get people to connect to the ripple effects of their decisions than simply trying to like make the point. And when I think about sustainability, that's the same thing that comes up to me if, and, and I don't have children, but if somebody has children or they have nieces or nephews, or they, they have some investment in future generations, I often find when you help them connect to that and the responsibility to that, and not just to the agenda that's on the table now, or not just to the pressure you're facing now to take a shortcut, it changes their relationship with that difficult process. And I suppose I'm wondering what are the kinds of ways that people kind of, and I'm also thinking about the people who say climate warming isn't a thing. And I'm thinking about what are the ways that when people walk into work with you, maybe have some resistance or they don't believe, or they don't think it's their role. What are the kind of moments that help them move into I can do something, but I also have a responsibility, but I also want to. Do you have a sense of what some of that transformation from mm. that mindset might be in your work? Yeah. So I think, yeah, there's a couple of things you mentioned there, but uh, certainly the sort of, you know, getting the child to kind of ask the question or be involved in that is key. So one of the things that carbon literacy and where it differs from perhaps other courses in education that's out there is that you have to make carbon pledges on an individual and on a group or company basis. So you have to think about what can I do? What is within my power to do about the current situation? So for some people that might be sending less emails, therefore our digital footprint is reduced, therefore CO2 is reduced. It could be, I'm gonna get solar panels on the roof. It could be you know, much more bigger effort. It could be, you know, we're going to eat meat free on a Monday, we're going to change the canteen or whatever, and therefore it's this CO2 reduction. But because you give them agency to change the way that they do and operate things, they suddenly feel that they actually have a voice and that what they say and do matters. Whereas I think before that, and I think that's why sustainability is so good from a leadership point of view, because it really does help to embed that kind of sense of agency within a team. And if you don't have that, where people just like you said, you know, come in every day, well, sure, what's it got to do with me, etc., then it doesn't resonate with them at all. And that is a big part of why communicating climate change thus far has been so unbelievably difficult. And you know yourself, any kind of behavioural change within a work or personal field is particularly difficult because, you know, we've got all of this you know, cognitive dissonance, we've got inattentional blindness, people don't see things at the right time, all of those things. And so we tweak that a little bit with the carbon literacy training and we make sure that people do actually have agency with their pledges and they can say, look, 
that's what I did. That is my CO2 reduction. And I find that that is what gives people the enthusiasm to go forward to do more. I really love that because I think agency is absolutely central in psychological safety. It's central in performance. It's central in inclusion. And I think that sometimes if we take a directive approach rather than a co-created approach, we get a lot of unnecessary resistance because of the approach, not really because people don't want to do things that are better for the planet. So I, I really love position. So I'm going to pop your details below so people can click through. I want to say that before we got talking and agreed to be on the podcast, I had gone and had a little look at some of the things I can do to change sustainability in my own business. And one of the things that I kind of was really chuffed with was that I'm including it on a bi-weekly email so that the people who work with me and talk to me or receive the emails are able to see whether I'm actually making changes or I just said I was going to make changes. And I think it gives me more than them because I feel like I have someone to be accountable to, but also because at every second week I have this feel good feeling that I'm, I've done something better than I did previously. And there is something about that sense of doing good in the world, that sense of having an impact that I just think is good for people psychologically for us to have, regardless of where we are. But I have a couple of questions, if you don't mind me asking you specifically for the leaders listening. And I asked a few of these questions, generally speaking, when somebody comes on to the leadership zone. So one of the questions is, do you have an example of a great leader, just from your own experience that you think that person I would call a great leader? Yeah, so I think that's a really good one. I, I probably have lots, but one person particularly springs to mind is Christiana Figueres. So she was part of the UN Paris Climate Agreement of 2015 in terms of, you know, uniting everybody, all nations to go on this kind of climate journey. She's also done an awful lot to promote and reduce carbon in her home country of Costa Rica. She's written a brilliant book, The Future We Choose. It's about surviving the climate crisis. And I think her co-writer is Tom Rivet Karnak. And she also has an amazing podcast called Outrage and Optimism, which are two of the things that Mary Robinson, also another brilliant leader, says that we need to take forward with the climate crisis. So yeah, I, I would say she really inspires me and the way that she always has hope for the future. I really love that because hope is one of the fundamental resilience requirements for any of us to cope, especially in the face of really complex challenges. So in terms of a quote that you love that you'd like to offer to listeners that might be something that supports you or you think might be something to keep in mind, do you have a quote that kind of resonates with you? Yeah, so this is a Wayne Dyer quote. So when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So I really, I really love that because I think it does provide hope and optimism that if you just look at things just from a different perspective then they can take on a whole new meaning and it means you can perhaps run with a project that you heretofore was in heretofore thought was impossible i love that quote because i often find that even myself when i'm kind of thinking why am i doing this that when you move something slightly even though the situation in terms of the bricks and mortar may be the same, the angle shows you something completely different and then you have a different way of managing it. So two more questions. One is a pet peeve in the workplace. Do you have any pet peeves? I think my pet peeve is that the tenure of most kind of leadership posts is generally short, which means that long-term sustainability projects, you know, those big CapEx things that might, might be like 
you know, putting stuff on the roof or, you know, getting a wind turbine or, you know, all those kind of things are often overlooked because there's this short kind of three to five year mindset. Like I'm, you know, what do I want to achieve in three years? And then I'm gone. Not like what's my legacy, mm. which is what I want people really to be thinking. But I see it quite short term. So that's my pet peeve. And I would agree with you. I'm always thinking when I do work like around inclusive leadership, especially I'm like, what's the legacy? Not what are you going to be hailed for here? You know, what are you going to set in motion that gathers its own momentum when you're gone so that we can actually, you can look at it and you can say that started with the meeting I started, or that started with this question. And so last question, what kind of advice would you offer to leaders listening around their sustainability journey and around the things that they can do? Is there one piece of advice you'd leave us with? I think it would be to educate yourself on sustainability and what you can do to take action. As Greta Thunberg said, no one is too small to make a difference. So take that carbon literacy course, read a book like Donut Economics or Christiana Figueres book, sign up to our LinkedIn newsletter, you know, just start taking in those little pieces of education, bite size, like you said about your own newsletter and podcast that you can read within, you know, 10 or 15 minutes or do a course, be it a day, something that just starts you on that education journey. Because as we know, knowledge is power. And it really is in this case, the more you know, the more you're going to want to know. Fantastic. And just to say already, you've inspired me now to add a book about sustainability to our leadership book club. So thank you. For anyone who wants to get in contact with you, the details are below, and they will be able to get directly into contact with you. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I appreciate it. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Leadership Zone. We can continue this conversation over on Twitter and my Twitter handle is at Sheila Walsh one or at LinkedIn, you'll find me under Sheila Walsh. To book a free consultation to discuss your leadership needs or the leadership development needs of your organization, simply visit my website www.sheilawalsh.com and book a free leadership consultation. I look forward to hearing from you.